When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and on today's episode, we're talking all about the wild world of Major League Soccer. On today's show, we'll discuss a host of topics from MLS Week 10, where Gio Savarese's Portland Timbers won yet again. The New England Revolution and FC Cincinnati went toe-to-toe, but the Revs could be looking at the rest of the year without Dylan Barrero. Nashville took down Atlanta United in the game that revealed it just might be time for Garth Lagerway to bring in a new midfield all right, that's, I, I'm not doing any more rhyming. That was too hard. I didn't like it. I didn't wake up early enough to do all of my intro in rhyming fashion. Ryan Bailey, don't, don't be disappointed in me. I hope you're proud of me. I did some rhymes, Ryan. Be proud. We're also going to hand out some awards after 10 weeks of the MLS season and preview the second leg of the CCL semifinal between LAFC and the Philadelphia Union. That will take place later on tonight. To help me do all of that, I am joined by the one, the only, David Goss. Goss, this is the part where I step aside and you do your 20-second soccer rhyme. So whenever you're ready, you can just go ahead and take it away. I'll, I'll sit back and, and listen. Well, it was interesting because when you started, I was like, well, this is a Tuesday show that Taylor normally hosts. So you had an out to not even go <laughs> for the real. rhyming angle. <laughs> and then when you started, I was actually genuinely impressed. Like, okay, Joe picked the hardest path on this. That's, that's where you get greatness, right? As Ray Allen just told me this morning, there's no losing. There's only learning in life. Right, but that's right, for elite okay. people. So, um, so yeah, I was surprised you went for that. And you know what? I was impressed. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So I woke up 10 minutes before my alarm was supposed to go off. And what did I decide to do with my 10 minutes? Not take a walk outside, not like do something other than work. I decided to spend 10 minutes on rhymezone.com and come up with some, some MLS poetry before this started. Um, I'm sorry. I assume you didn't have like a personal conversation with Ray Allen. And, and basketball in general is a bit of a touchy subject for me right now, thanks to uh, the Denver Nuggets, but uh, were you having like a detailed convo with, with no. the former Boston Celtics legend? I don't understand. Well, one, I'd prefer if you didn't mention the Boston Celtics in connection to him because he's a legend in many other ways, and I hate the Celtics. I love mm. Ray Allen. Ray Allen was my mm. favorite athlete as a kid, so everything I did was like number 34, Ray Allen associated. When he went to the Celtics, it was quite heartbreaking for me, actually, so yeah. I ignore that part, but I did get to we can meet unpack him a couple that times like. we can unpack because of that. that. Yeah. Um, and today was the 25th anniversary. This is definitely not going to be a reference you get of a film called He Got Game. Okay. Do you know it? I'm familiar with the title, but I've never seen it. So it's a Spike Lee movie that Ray Allen was in as a 21 year old. Nice. Denzel Washington is in as well. And the film okay. is Ray Allen's like the LeBron prospect. And Denzel Washington's his dad who's in prison who he doesn't interact with. And the warden of his prison was like, if your son picks my alma mater for school, we'll get you out. So he lets him out on leave for a couple of days so he can go convince him. And like, that's the movie. It is a great movie. 
genuinely great movie. Ray Allen had like no business being in it. And now it's like a cult classic thing. His name in the movie is Jesus Shuttleworth. Shuttlesworth. Okay, yes, yes, yes. So yes, you yes, see yes. a lot of Jesus or Shuttleworth jerseys around and stuff. So the anniversary, 25-year anniversary of the film coming out was today. So he was like posting about it. And like, you know, I was like DMing him back. He DMs me. You of know, course. Me yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. I believe that this group chat exists a little bit less than I believe that Joao Klaus and his mom and David Goss group chat exists. But you know what? <laughs> At this point, I've been around the MLS world long enough. I'm not willing to rule any of those things out. Um, we're like four minutes into me hosting TSS for the first time in a minute, and we're like deep, deep in the pop culture and NBA weeds, which again, this like not where I wanted to be. Down feels to like no, your to brand as well but. as stretching the show as much as possible. <laughs> yes, I love all of those things, guys. You know me too well. Um, any, I mean, do you, any other like movie analysis you want to do before we before we get into some MLS chat? It any is other also group chats the, you want to leak. Yeah, it is also the X year anniversary of Iron Man coming out, and I read a pretty good article about how it set the Marvel universe and how it changed film and all those things. Well, so we're you never not going to talk gonna about any of that. We're not going to talk yeah. about any of that. Although I do like a good Marvel movie, but we're going to get into instead. I opened up a door and a can of worms that I did not want to open, and I would like to close the worms right now, please, very quickly. We're going to talk about the MLS weekend that was. We're going to hit on a few different games from around the league. Starting with New England 1, FC Cincinnati 1. A clash between the top two teams in the Eastern Conference. Goss, I thought this was a pretty even game. Georgie Petrovic makes a, a nice penalty kick save since he still find a way to go ahead in the first half. Then Emma Boateng equalizes with a nice finish in first half stoppage time. And then not a ton of, of real goal scoring action in the second half. The biggest story coming out of this game, though, Goss, is not the result. It's not really what happened on the field in the run of play. It's Dylan Brera's injury, young Colombian, twenty-one-year-old uh, winger. That's got to be the biggest piece of news. Maybe, maybe the biggest piece of news from the weekend as a whole. Goss, is that fair? I think so because you're looking at a Revs team that's leading in the Supporter Shield, that's leading in the Eastern Conference, that got the result against SC Cincinnati. You've got Carlos Heel playing at an MVP level again. You've got Gustavo Bo back, Veroni in and out, but scoring goals like. The conversation for a month now is, are the Revs Supporter Shield contenders? Are they favorites? Like, where does this team stand? And so to lose a player of this quality stands out massively from this weekend. And with Dylan Barrero, it's interesting because there's like sort of a weird half brain, I think, for a lot of people who he is, Tejon Buchanan, because he like so cleanly replaced that player. And so when you look back at the 71-point team from two years ago, and then the mistakes that happened last year, there's a lot of like, are they that team again or are they not? Mm. And the questions that you get with that is, well, who replaced Buxa? Who replaced Tejan? Who replaced Matt Turner? Right now, it feels like two of those three are done. Petrovic, we'll talk about it in coming yeah. up in this show, yeah. has maybe improved on one of them. Veroni struggled at times, but between him and Bobby Wood and, and then Gustavo Bo's ability, whatever, it feels like that's a bit of a replacement as well. And so then it's like, well, why isn't this team a 71-point team? And the questions are, maybe that team was an outlier and outperform what they did, or maybe there are pieces missing. And Tejan was that piece where what Dylan Barrero brings to this team and what Tejan brought, but let's talk about Dylan Barrero specifically, is an ability to progress the game in the attack 1v1 a lot on the dribble outside of the flow of the game for you to have match-winning moments. So if you were locked in, like we saw this weekend, I think in a really good 1-1 game against Cincinnati, both teams pushing players forward, both teams creating chances. 
Who was going to do something special that's not part of the game plan to get you that edge and get you a 2-1 win or a 3-2 win or a 1-0 lead when you're against the game? Dylan Barrero has the ability to be that guy, and I don't know that a lot of other players on this roster do. And so now you're taking a massive tool out of one of the best teams in the league, and I think that is what really stood out to people over the course of this weekend. It's it's a big loss, and I agree with a lot of what you said there, guys. It's a big loss. I'm not sure that it's a big loss because Dylan Barrero is like a best 11 player. I don't think we've ever seen him play at that level. He gets a lot of hype, and deservedly so, because he is a talented young winger who I think we were starting to see this year really turn a corner. I wasn't all that impressed with him last year. I know he got a lot of buzz. I just, I just wasn't seeing it. And over the last few games this year, I feel like we were starting to see it click where he was turning raw athleticism and, and some technical ability into actually goal-dangerous moments. That, to me, felt like it was missing last year. The, the biggest issue, though, for the Rebs is now they don't have any wingers. Like I, I guess I talked about Boateng scoring the equalizer in this game against Cincinnati, and he did that, right? He is a winger on this roster. But Barrero was like the guy you could count on to give you some semblance of width. Even if Bruce Arena was playing him as sort of the left forward in a 4-4-2 diamond, he was still going to float out wide. He was still going to do a bit of combination play with Dewan Jones. He was still going to combine with Carles Hill. Now they don't have that. And, and that, to me, guys, makes New England a much more predictable team. And I think this is kind of what you were getting at, right? I, I'm thinking about it in a tactical lens. I, I'm not sure they have the players. Not that we won't see it at some point. And we still don't know the, the full details of this injury, but it looks bad. And I think everybody, Bruce Arena included, would be pretty surprised to see him back on the field for the Revs this season. I mean, they, they don't have the flexibility anymore to play a, a high-level 4-2-3-1. They're going to have to be, in my mind, in a 4-4-2 diamond, which they've had some success in before. They've had some some issues with as well. Do you see any other way for them to progress this year outside of just ditching the wingers basically entirely from the start and, and going with two strikers to sort of, you know, narrow-ish central midfielders, a 10 and a 6? Not really. They could go five in the back and use even less central midfielders. And when you look at what this team can do, like outside of Carlos Heel, now the two best chance creators are Brandon Bay and Dewan Jones. And I think they're going to have to lean into that as hard as they ever have. And they've done that as hard as any team maybe in Major League Soccer, especially out of a flat four. Um, so it may not be necessary you can use Latif Blessing in a few different ways, right? We've seen him play, quote-unquote, as a winger, obviously in his SKC days less successfully, and then at times with LAFC, and then Esmir Barak-Tarevich is the other big option. He's the one who came off the bench in this game, 18-year-old um, academy kid. He had the assist on the goal or the second assist, whatever it was. That's a lot of responsibility on an academy player. I'd be surprised if he's capable of carrying that throughout the season, so... I think you are correct in that no one else mimics Dylan Barrero's skill set yeah. for this team. Um, in saying that, and I, I like what you brought up in that Barrero currently is not a best 11 player, I still have a decent amount of confidence about this New England team. Like, I still think this is a team with a really high floor. I still think this is a team that's deeper than they were last year where, okay, the issues, a lot of them were injury. Henry Kessler's been out now. Andrew Farrell started the year out, and yet defensively, they've still been phenomenal because they brought in Dave Romney, who's a legitimate starter for them. Obviously, Petrovic helps as well. They've added pieces in central midfield, some through, you know, homegrowns like Noel Buck, some like Latif Blessing coming into the team where Matt Polster's on an island less often. He has to do less work for them. 
The game's easier for him. He's picking up less yellow cards. There's a lot of things about this team that I like, and I don't feel like there's a giant in MLS right now. I think part of that CCL in like Philly and LAFC's focus being other places, but it feels like this is a Revs team that I think can still contend at the top because they didn't lose heel or bow or Polster. And like you said, Barrero brings them new things, but he's not the given that they built the team around. He was an additional piece that made them better. Yeah, agreed. And the Revs after this weekend, even with the Barrero injury, even with not picking up three points at home, are still top of the Eastern Conference on goal difference over FC Cincinnati. Guys, let's flip over to the Western Conference. The Portland Timbers took down St. Louis City. Sorry about that. St. Louis City had to do it. 2-1 in St. Louis. No Joe Klaus for St. Louis. They played Edward Leuven up top with Nico Giochini defensively. Portland scored two goals in the second half and fend off St. Louis's advances to win away from home. Guys, St. Louis have only won one of their last five games. To me, this is very much what them normalizing and coming back down to earth looks like. Is that a fair reading on what's going on in St. Louis right now? I think partially. Like, they had some fortunate bounces. Things went their way in the first month. What has stood out to me the last two games, but especially this game, is without Klaus, they played one striker in this game, but they didn't play anyone like Klaus. And one of the things that I thought made St. Louis so successful over the first five or six weeks of the season was everything they did was in the attacking third of the field. And their mistakes didn't lead to goals the other way because they were so far from their goal. And any mistake you made led to a goal for them. Obviously, the passbacks are like the obvious one, but their ability to counterpress high allowed them to choose where the game was played. It allowed them to play their back line even higher. And everything happened in their attacking third or close to their attacking third. And I thought that was the difference for this St. Louis team. This game was played in the midfield. Like this game was played 25 yards deeper than where they want to play because Joe Keeney can't hold the ball. He can't bring, allow the rest of the team to get into the game. They don't beat anyone 1v1 really, especially from the wide areas. And so they need to be playing in that attacking third and putting constant pressure on you to, to create that mistake or to have that moment. And I think without Klaus... They don't have a like-for-like replacement. They haven't tried one, at least, but it doesn't feel like there's one on the roster. And that feels like the biggest worry for me. If he's only out two weeks, then maybe they haven't come back down to earth. They just need that player to be a part of their team. If he's out longer, though, and that's a possibility, then, yeah, I'm pretty concerned about this team. So right now, I would say I'm not doing 100% like they got lucky, this was a fake team, and... The first half wasn't real, and this half is real. I think they're obviously somewhere in the middle. Um, But I think Klaus missing is the biggest worry from coming out of these last two or three games. And and it's like an early test of their depth, right? The the depth outside of the center back spot, which was tested a bit with international call-ups earlier this year. Like, they, they haven't been tested. It's been the same players in basically every game. And if you can sustain that through a season, you're going to be in a better position than 90% of the league. You know, at least in, in terms of roster health and fitness and what you can do as the summer starts. We're, we're about to hit double game weeks later this month. I believe there are, are two double game weeks. So things are about to get crazy for these teams. To me, this felt like an early test of, of all right, St. Louis, you build a squad that can clearly compete in this league. And I'm I'm still genuinely impressed with this team and what they've done so far through the season. You beat this, you, you built this team. Have you built it through 11 players or 12 players? Or have you built it through 14 players or 15 players? And in this game, 
know, I mentioned Lovin having to start alongside Joe Akini defensively, and, and he would drop back a little bit deeper, and Bradley Carnell talked about that after the game in possession. But then you have to go with Miguel Perez in midfield, who's 18 years old and is a, a capable young player, but is not a an above-replacement guy in central midfield at this point, at least not at this stage of his career. All of a sudden, you move one player out of the lineup, you have to compromise your, your best central midfield pairing with Indiana Vasilev, Again, great name. I feel bad that he's gotten overshadowed by Jao Klaus, but that's just how it's going to be. You, you have to compromise that area of the field. And then, Goss, you mentioned the, the wide areas. And I wrote about this for Backfield recently. You look at the squad, it is so clear to me that the piece they need is another like wide player. Whether that's a fullback to replace Jake Nowinski, who I think has been fine, but, but is not a great MLS player. Whether that's a replacement at, at right back, or whether that's somebody who can really start opposite Jared Stroud and give you some goal dangerous moments. I just don't think St. Louis have that piece right now. So between coming into the year, maybe missing one high level outside player and being one injury away from looking a little shaky in, in the spine. I, I don't know. It, it's too early to, to sort of just toss St. Louis in the garbage, right? And, and they're still in a very good spot towards the top of the Western Conference. But in general, I think there are some concerns with this group right now. So that's so that's that's the beat on St. Louis. Yeah, I agree with you now. Normally, what I would say in a situation like this, but I'm curious to see what they do because of how much they're kind of in love with the way they've built this roster, it feels like, from the outside, as mm. well as the injury to Joachim Nielsen is, where's your depth? It's at center back, which is actually like currency in Major League Soccer. So who can you go out and get? Like, it, for me, a move at the wide position there and I wouldn't do it for Nerwinski because I think he's a starter level in MLS and like at fullback. Okay, that's fine. It would be like who in this league needs a center back and what winger can we get off them? Because mm. if you're going to go out and get an international winger, it's going to take time. How quickly do they settle in? Stuff like that. Sure. But every team in this league needs a center back. And so if it's Lucas Bartlett, if Nielsen comes back, is it Hebert? And like, yeah, those are big pieces to give up. Those are guys who have started for you and played well. But like you said, you're only allowed so much depth on a salary cap unless you want to go and spend everything. Unless you want to get three DPs and three under 22 internationals and use all your money and have five or six more roster players at a different level on your team. Like that's what you have to sort of manage and do. And that'll be the interesting thing here for St. Louis is like, can they flip things in their roster? Charlotte got their build wrong last year. But then they went out, they got Shinyashiki, they got Derek Jones, they added to their team, and they were able to improve things as things went along. Once they isolated, what are we missing in Major League Soccer? I'll be curious to see St. Louis kind of off the, like, everyone told us we'd suck and we're amazing, you're all wrong vibes, how they sort of react now to this bump. You mentioned Shinyashiki, and we've gone long on St. Louis, so we won't go any deeper into them right now. You mentioned Shinyashiki last week. I think it was last week. Time is, is a weird flat circle. You, me, and Taylor were talking about deadline day moves, and we talked about the reported move that Shinyashiki was going to RSL in exchange for Justin Miram. And then all of a sudden, he he's not going. Um, do you have any more clarity on what on earth happened there? Or at least can you uh, walk me through how awkward it would be to have been traded or tried to have been traded, but then you still have to show up to the, the club premises? My understanding is he's struggling with some stuff off the field, and so the trade they thought would be helpful, and maybe he's not in a mental space to even play for RSL, and so they're waiting a little bit on that, so it went to money instead for Justin Miro. 
Interesting. All right. Interesting. Well, we won't go any deeper into the Andre Shinyashiki world. Portland, just briefly touching on them. They've won three of their last four. They've had some more impressive results. They're getting back to health a little bit. And I think at this point, they are much closer to the level that a lot of us expected them to be at coming into the year. Evander scores in this game, granted, from the penalty spot. But we'll keep an eye on the Timbers to see if they improve at all going forward. Gus, flipping back over to the Eastern Conference, this was the first game on Saturday. We had a nice early game, which made uh, Mitch made the, less, the rest of the weekend a little bit Stand-alones. easier. Only only 13 games this weekend as well. So we had an early heavy. one out of the way. Yeah. Hey, what did you do with all this extra time? I like went out and ran a marathon. I, I had I, so much time to go and do stuff. I just watched all the games because I didn't feel overwhelmed that I couldn't watch any of the games. Normally, it's like, oh my God, I'm stuck at this point. What am I going to do? So it's like, oh no, I watched all the games. I feel great. It was, it was refreshing for once. It was refreshing. Let's talk Nashville 3, Atlanta United 1. Nashville were the better team in this game, to my eye, I think, to pretty much everybody's eyes. Rossetto and Sosa were not very good in midfield, which I mentioned in my poetry intro. I think that's pretty clearly the biggest problem for Atlanta United right now. Guys, we can chat about the game if you'd like, but the oh. really, like, okay, there it is. The, the, the big news surrounding Nashville right now is something that came out yesterday. On Monday, as we're recording Tuesday morning, Ake Loba is no longer a Nashville SC player, which is huge for them. They mutually agreed to terminate his contract. That gives Nashville another DP spot to work with in the summer window. Are we going to see, David Goss, I want want it on the line here. Are we going to see Nashville do something with this slot in the summer? I just want to put into context what this means. Ake Loba, the record signing for this team, we believe... The transfer fee was roughly at $6.8 million. Hani Mukhtar, the second most expensive signing at $2.7 million. If you go back and look at all the transfer fees they've paid besides Ake Loba, I don't believe they add up to the price of Ake Loba. To one Ake Loba? Yes. (laughs) Also, sidebar, not exactly apples to apples. I believe the salary cap is roughly somewhere around $6.5 to $6.8 million. Which means Ake Loba costs the same as the rest of the roster, his transfer fee versus salaries. That's how big a deal this is. And I think that has to be touched on of like, when you spend money, there's multiple ways to do it. This is the next level of, oh, we'll spend money on a player and we'll spend money to just get out of the player. Hmm. I'm not, I don't see, I don't understand a world in which you do this if you're not going to replace him. Like you could just leave him. He's injured right now. He was on loan. Not your problem. Like, you're competitive. You're, what, fourth in the Eastern Conference right now? Like, you don't need to do this. So it feels like if they did, they have to replace him. But we have seen in their past, there's multiple ways to do that. They brought Yonder Cadiz, (laughs) a reserve (laughs) Benfica player on loan who was technically a DP. Like, they could just bring a body in and not really have high expectations or they could go out and spend again, which like the Galaxy did a few years back. They had, they bought four DPs and then bought Giovanni Dos Santos out of his contract. There's the power play. There's so the that Zlatan could fit in. So I, in my feeling, I, I don't see Nashville spending money like this again. But then I don't understand why they'd buy him out. Mm-hmm. Well, I desperately hope we see Nashville do something if... For no other reason that when we talk about transfer needs, whether that's me writing about it or whether it's us talking about it on TSS, that we can stop saying Nashville need another high-level attacking player. I don't think – a lot of times it's the striker spot that gets tossed around and they just traded CJ Sapong. It, it feels like that is the most likely area to bolster if you're Nashville SC. 
honestly, as someone who's watched a lot of this team, I, I don't really care. And as a Nashville SC fan, I'm not sure I would care if it's a number nine or if it's a right winger or if it's a left winger. I want a goal dangerous attacking player that can threaten. And, and we've seen Gary Smith start to to infuse a little bit of flexibility into this team. They've messed around in a 4-4-2 diamond each of the last two weeks, even though against Atlanta, they flattened pretty quickly in the first half to a, a straight up 4-4-2. They didn't stick with that look for very long. But find another high-level attacking player. You thought Ake Lobo was going to be that guy. He clearly was not in MLS. And, and that's okay. Teams miss on transfers. It happens. Credit to Nashville for actually showing some ambition to try to dig themselves out of the hole. And now they have the flexibility to go out and sign whoever they think is going to be the guy alongside Hani. Outside of Hani Mukhtar, I don't think they've gotten an international signing correct. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about the initial roster build. And if you're talking about players of other nationalities, I think that's no, one thing. because but like I, you're trying Annabelle to bring Godoy in players from abroad. D- exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. For players outside of Major League Soccer, even, I don't know that they got Shaq Moore right, which we all thought would work. They brought him in as an American, but they brought him in from La Liga, had Spain, not played yeah. in Major League Soccer. Because um, when you look through the transfers, Rodrigo Pinheiro yeah. is their third biggest signing, never played. Leal. Randall Leal, you could yep. argue he's underwhelmed. That might be more on him than on them because I do think he's a talented player and I don't think he's Zellerion good, but I think there's quality there and I think he's shown it in spots. But like they have started Daniel Lovitz, Walker Zimmerman, Dave Romney, or Jack Mayer along the back line. Joe Willis in goal. Dax McCarty, Brian Anungana out of USL, Sean Davis, yep. Annabelle Godoy. Like Everyone pretty much that has been part of what's gone right for them has come through Major League Soccer. That's going to be, I think, the big conversation is like, what's the level of trust inside the club from ownership, whoever makes those decisions to be like, yeah, yeah, here's X millions of dollars to go do this thing that we've proven we can't do. And I think the flip side would be, well, you guys are really good at this thing. Like if I'm the owner, I'm like, why don't you go get someone else from MLS? Hmm. Like, how can I use my money to make that happen? Because Dejan Jovalic, baby. Dejan Jovalic. Yeah. It happen. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's a good point. Let's see if Nashville can take their one for five or whatever it's been international record and make it a two for six if that is what they decide to do. Uh, some quick hits before we head to break quickly to round up the weekend. Sporting Kansas City, now winless through 10 games. We'll go over them in more detail later. Apologies in advance, Sporting Kansas City fans. Columbus, I- I'm feeling more and more confident that this group has been overhyped a bit. They lost 2 1 to Miami over the weekend. They've only won one of their last four games. I like what Nancy's building. You're I think they just need a, a bit more talent. I feel, I feel, I feel good that this team is maybe not quite as good as as folks were saying they were earlier on in the year. Still fun to watch though, and, and they were fun even in this loss to Miami. Notable, I think that Brian Gutierrez started ahead of Shakiri on Saturday. We'll talk more about him later. It was a one-one draw for the Fire, who are very much potatoes and not eggs. Toronto FC won one-nil against NYCFC. CJ Sapong scored in that game. They looked a bit more stable. Goss, any final thoughts on the weekend that was before we take a break and do some awards through 10 games? No, I think for TFC fans, you should be excited because this is a better path forward. I don't think this is enough to like jump up and down on. Yeah. Um, but I think this is sort of what you're asking for and starting with. And they still had a ton of injuries in midfield and they still got a 1-0 win over a good NYCFC squad. So I feel like for Toronto fans, at least there's sort of not just like, oh, it was a mirage and Signe scored two stunners. It was like, oh, there's actually steps here that we can follow. Yep, we're following steps just like Toronto, but our steps are coming in to break. We're going to go to our break. We'll be back after a few words from our sponsors. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show. Welcome back. We're digging into our awards from the first 10 weeks of the season. We're going to start with the most obvious one, David Goss. We have to start with the MVP award. I kindly invite you to share who your most valuable player is at this point in the season. So I came up with lists and then I picked someone. Do I start right. with the person I picked? Do I give the whole list and then zero in? How, how Andrew Weeby are you feeling? Because I, I would say the answer to that question should govern how you proceed from here. Okay, well, then I'm going to go with one name. Second question, because I have a list of questions, though. That's good, good, all right, good. I like this. Did you select who is currently this award winner, who is most likely to win it based off their mm. start, somewhere in between? How did you go I about this? Maybe somewhere in, in between, but if we think of it as a continuum between like predicting the end of season awards and hard and fast awards through 10, 10 weeks of the season, I'm a little bit closer to the second side of the spectrum. Okay. I'm closer to the you know what we've seen so far. I think a couple of my answers will probably change as the season goes on, but I still wanted to give some of those folks some love, even if they might not be in these same conversations by the fall. Okay. I was the same. I didn't, I didn't leave anyone out who it's like, I think this person's going to 
I mean, Tag Almada is the big one. I didn't leave him off any list because it's like, oh, I think he's going to transfer. He won't win the award. Like, I didn't go that far. So sure. I'm going to start with MVP. Um, and I went with Christian Espinoza. Six okay. goals, three assists. Um, so he's two assists off the lead in MLS. I think he's third in goal scoring. All of the underlying numbers for him are off the charts. Yeah, uh, He leads the league in progressive carries. Him and Almada are tied for sh- shooting chances created out of their actions. He leads the league in crosses. He's tied for the league and expected assists. Almost every one of those categories, he's with Almada. So it's kind of like, what are you choosing here? Um, he has been this player for a really long time in MLS without the pieces around him to make it work. And I think San Jose have been one of the nice surprises so far this year. He's been consistent. It looks like the players around him like playing with him. He's special. Like, he has two abilities. One is to be the right piece of a system. Pop up on the end of things that are part of the movements. That Cade Cowell's dropping into the space they want him to. Like, he's part of that, but he's also special. And pops up with special moments. Beats guys 1v1. Creates chances. Has gravity to make Obobusi's life easier. To make the overlapping fullback easier, whether it's a, po- a cop, a capo or Marie, whoever it's been. I think he makes Montero's life easier. Like, I think he's done all the MVP things. Yeah. And he's had the stats. So that was the one I went with from the start. I am. I'm surprised that neither one of us went with what I think is the most obvious pick. And you mentioned him just a minute ago, Tiago Almada. But I love that Espinosa pick because I think San Jose are, are legitimately good. I don't think they have the depth to make them a real contender. I think they are still two transfer windows away from being a, a real threat, but they should make the playoffs this year and they could win a game in the playoffs as well. Maybe even a couple games and a best of three series because I just now remember that that is what the playoffs are now. I think they're a good team and Espinosa is the best player on that team. I like that pick. I talked myself out of anybody in this tier of team though. And at the moment I put Atlanta United in this tier as well yeah. because they're not at the top of the Eastern Conference. Right. They're not one of the two best teams in the Eastern Conference right now. They're third, and they were relatively disappointing this this weekend. I still think they're a good team, but generally speaking, I think we see MVPs come from, from the best teams. And so I've gone with a pick that will never happen, but I think it should happen, and it should have happened at some point over the last few years. My MVP is Georgi Petrovic, and he's also my goalkeeper uh, of the year. Let's just get both of these out of the way on. right now. The Revs are no top of the East. Chance. This guy does not stop, David Goss. He's in the top two goalkeepers this year, along with Brad Stuver based on American soccer analysis is goals plus uh, goals added metric. Excuse me. He's one of three goalkeepers to save a penalty kick this year. He had the best shot stopping season in MLS history last year. He's also been elite so far in 2023. I I agree. I heard you saying stop. Like we're not going to see this happen. It's been since 2000 since a goalkeeper has won MVP in major league soccer. That was Tony Miola more than 20 years ago, almost 25 years ago. Now we're not going to see this happen, but gosh, like, why not? I think you can make, and I've attempted to make just now, for the, the best team in the league based on points, tie for the top goal differential in the Eastern Conference. I think you can make a really compelling argument that Petrovic is the most important player on the team that has either been the best or has outperformed expectations at a greater and more important level than anybody else in the league. Like, why Why not, Georgi Petrovic? Okay, so yes, uh, the big one is the voting that no one's ever going to vote for the goalkeeper. I get on my soapbox and Goss goes, yeah. Mm, yeah. okay, yeah, all right, cool, yeah, all right, keep going. Yep, I mean, fine. the reality of it is when you talk about an award like this, you're talking about value. I think it's fair to say, and I think the stats will say it, so what I have down is the Opta Jack stat that came out 
this weekend, which is um, Georgi Petrovic has outperformed his expected goals on target by 16.2 since joining MLS last Unreal. June. Unreal. No other goalkeepers outperformed by more than 5.5 in that time. So arguably he's been 11 goals against better than any other goalkeeper. And then uh, that crosses over into last season, which is a little bit murky sure. and sure. players in and players out, but it doesn't change the fact that he's doing things that are historic. I think his PK save this weekend, yep. he's like the fastest in MLS history to XPK saves he's made. It's been five or seven or something yeah, like five, that. I think, yeah. yeah. And again, we're talking, he joined in June when Turner left. So like he hasn't even been a ago. starter yeah. yeah, for a full season. Um, over the course of two years. So I think a lot of that's fair, but you're looking at someone who controls games and is like always the person who controls a game. When you talk about awards like this, it's why they normally go to number tens. A lot of times they go to goal scorers because they pop up in big moments. But you look at, I think, players who carry teams. It's tough to say that about a goalkeeper because they don't touch the ball. They don't change the momentum when the game's against you. They make big saves, but... That's their job, and that's sort of what everyone does. The question would be, and I think that stat is sort of what you're talking about, is there are a lot of good goalkeepers in MLS. There's a couple great ones. Petrovic is elite. Is the difference between him and the next step of goalkeepers as large as the difference between Espinosa, Almada, Carlos Heel, Nico Ladero, and the next step of attacking players or midfielders or whatever it is? And it's hard to tell. In sure, sure. It, it is hard to tell. And I, I fully acknowledge that this won't happen, which is why I wanted to bring it up, because I, I genuinely do think it, it should happen, right? Like, Petrovic won't get shined, partially because he might not be in the league by the time the MVP discussions are actually happening later this year. He has been linked very lightly, but there have been links to a couple of gigantic Premier League clubs, and he should be gone. If not in the summer, then a, a deal agreed to in the summer for the winter and he'll go and join and, and be a Champions League level goalkeeper. He's that good for folks that haven't watched him play before. But I agree this is not really going to happen. I just fall on the side and and I, I do have votes for this award. And if Petrovic is still around and still performing at this level, there is a darn good chance that I will vote for him. I think the gap is larger between him and the other best goalkeepers in the league than it is from someone like Espinosa and Almada to like a Lucho Acosta or Brandon Vasquez. I think... I think you can make a pretty compelling argument, even if I haven't done so successfully on this episode. I think you can make a good argument that that a goalkeeper does deserve to win that award. And of all the goalkeepers this year, factoring in team performance and, and positioning in the standings, I think that guy has to be Georgi Petrovic. Is there is he your goalkeeper of the year, Goss? That's the next category we have. I just did a two for one. Who is who's on your list for that one? Can I just throw some MVP names out there? As oh well? yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, uh, I thought you were gonna say Denny Buanga. And I was getting ready to lambast you because you were doing the whole Atlanta thing and LAFC are on 18 points, third in the West. And I thought that's where with, you were with, going. With like two games in hand. On it's not the same thing. A hundred percent. You are right. So I think Buang is a big one that pops out for people. Hani Mukhtar, I think, will be up there as well. Tiago Almada, as I said, most of the stats from a more central midfield style that I talked about, Almada is equal to. So like not sure. in crosses, not in progressive carries but in all the other things of creating chances creating shots and then actual counting stats he's taught he leads the league in goals and assists combined uh and i think you've seen his importance of like the game he missed they gave up five goals which is not relative related to exactly what he does well but clearly shows the value he has in the team um he'll will be the other one if the revs continue to perform at their level and nico ladero's back on every category of like the guy just dominates the game. He just touches the ball a zillion times, and he makes dangerous things happen 
all the time. And I do think Seattle are going to be at or the top of the West this year. And I think if Ladero can stay healthy, especially with the movement around him in central midfield, Rudy Diaz injury like Roldan's, I think Ladero is going to end up getting a pretty good shot at MVP mm. this year. Yep, I agree with all that. I think those are all folks to watch as the year goes on. It's unfortunate that they'll all ultimately lose out to Georgie Petrovich as I <laughs> go on my campaign to recruit other uh, MVP voters to do this. Goss, you'll be the first one on my campaign list, and we're going to break everybody down. Who is, Goss, let's move into goalkeeper of the year. Who is your pick for that award? So, Georgie, there's okay. no way around it. Um, the other names, you said Brad Stuver already. This is yep, like the third straight year where he has quietly been one of the top two or three, you know, XG versus goals against type players. Um, he's also great with his feet. They've been a train wreck, so it's been tough for him. Joe Willis is in that conversation. He has never really been, um, and I don't know why, although he did lose his spot a bit last year. Nashville are an elite defense, so he's going to be in that conversation. His, his underlying stats, though, look just as good as the goals against. It's not just they're good defensively. He doesn't right. face shots. Right. Like he's been really good. The last one that I put down that wouldn't win it because Georgie will, but I'm going to be interested over the course of the year is Takayoko mm. at Vancouver. They are elite defensively in MLS. He saved Table a penalty smiling. kick Table as well this weekend. Right he's got good feet. He's the Laborde is a good signing. He's the big difference. For them over the last three years of like, how did they get better, worse from last year, you know, from Crepo to Hassal and now better this year. Um, he can probably get himself into a finalist convo at this position. Agreed. Yeah, I like all those shots. One other mention is John McCarthy, who's, I think, been very good in some of the different shot stopping metrics. And if he keeps the starting job as Crepo comes in, he's already kept a, a goalkeeper signing that they made over the offseason on yes. the bench. You know, if, and it is a big if, if he manages to keep control of that job, I think he'll be someone in the discussions for later on. But yeah, ultimately, I agree with you. It is Georgie Petrovich's I, award to lose right now. I think of the two CCL teams who aren't playing well, I would assume Andre Blake will be the one who gets into the convo ahead of John McCarthy, but... You're no fun. You're I no love fun your confidence. You're no fun at all. I just don't like it. I, I mean, I had to pick one Philly guy, and I picked John McCarthy, just like the Union did, so I don't understand what the problem is here. Nice. Uh, all right, let's move, let's move up one line to the field. Defender of the year. Guys, any number of players to choose from on this side. You could have gone fullback. You could have gone center back. I went center back. What position did you go with, and who did you pick? I don't think I could go fullback. I tried. And like, I, there's just not, Kamar Lawrence deserved it a few years ago. I think Kai Wagner deserved it last year. Like zero question in my mind. He had 16 assists on the best defense in the league. And they play a flat four. He's not even a wingback. Um, he has not been there this year. And I don't think there's been a fullback who has deserved it. You could try and throw Richie Larea in. I don't think he's good enough defensively. Um, to put in that combo. I'm just throwing it out there because I would love for it to be a fullback and I think it yeah. deserves to be. So I went with Yaimar off the start. I, I, I still think he's the best center back in Major League Soccer when I watch him play. The numbers are close. I find numbers on center backs really tough. Yeah, so I kind really of only hard. use them halfway. On one level, on one side, you need to be on a good defensive team, which maybe is wrong because it maybe is easier to be a center back on a good defensive team, but you have to be there. I think he's improved on the ball. Credit to Jackson Reagan, but like, I think a lot of his success is because Yaimar's next to him. Um, and he's elite in the air. He's a physical presence. He holds most 
center forwards where he wants to. And so he doesn't allow teams to get deeper on the field and sort of play out of that position. So I, I voted Yaimar. I think I voted him two years ago or last year, whatever. He didn't win. Um, but right now he's still my leader. Yeah, Yaimar's sorry, a good he's pick. my award winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got you. I got you. He's he's a good pick. It's it's really hard to properly evaluate defensive players, especially center backs, because they're not getting forward a lot. And, and that's the stuff that we're a little bit better. I think both as soccer watchers and in, in terms of what the stats folks can gather for us. I think it's easier to tell players that are higher up the field whether or not they're actually adding value. So center back and, and defenders in general is difficult. I went with Miles Robinson, sort of similar profile to Yimar in that super athletic, good in the air, improving on the ball. Like a lot of the things that you said apply to Miles Robinson. He also has the narrative boost of bouncing back from the Achilles injury, which I think is a, a big deal. He's looked really good this year. I think he's looked as good as he's ever looked before. His passing game, I mentioned it just a second ago, I think is is better than it's been. I struggle to think, and I guess Yaimar is is another contender for this, but I struggle to think of a more dominant defender in MLS right now than Miles Robinson. But I think along with Yaimar, you could probably add a couple of other center backs to this list. You can't really go wrong, and it, it probably will be a central defender that wins this thing at the end of the season. So, Yeah, on that side of like just pure defenders, I think Walker Zimmerman will be in the convo again. Deserved. Um, stepping away a little bit, Andres Reyes is going to be interesting because Red Bulls with the high press require a lot of their center backs. He's been more match changing than Sean Nealis. Like I think Sean Nealis is the consistent force where Reyes is the one who like hunts, wins the ball back for them. And so his numbers are going to pop, I think, as the season goes along. If he stays healthy and then the I had Dave Romney in here because he deserves Mm. to be mentioned like he's been so good. For the best team. I didn't think he'd be a starter on that team. I thought the number they traded him for was an overpay. Then they gave him a new contract. Um, he's been phenomenal, and I was wrong about that. So I wanted to throw that in there so I could take the Mia Culpa. The other two names that popped to me, though, the second on my list was Matt Miazga. I think he's been everything you want him to be individually as a defender. I think he's been good on the ball, as Joe tells me I'm too little in the Matt Miazga fashion. Um, but I think as an organizer, like back three, back five, you've got a, a number 10 as your left wing back. You've got a 20 year old on loan at left center back. Like there's a lot of stuff going on and it hasn't looked like it. And remember, Cincinnati haven't scored this year. They have not scored goals, which they did all of last year. And they are first in the Eastern Conference because of their defending. There's a lot of good pieces. I actually think Salantano's taking a step back. Yes, That's even yes. more credit. To Matt Miazga. Uh, and the other was Tiago Martins. He's the new Alex Collins. He's not as good defensively, but he's been elite on the ball for NYCFC. And if they're going to go far in the East, I think he's going to be in that combo. I'm just still stuck that you brought up Dave Romney, who I agree has been good, but I, I can only assume that that is like a piece of Dave propaganda from one Dave <laughs> to another. So we're just going to move right past all that and get through uh, one more award before we take our next break. And then we'll, we'll come back and finish it off and do a CCO semi-final second leg preview, ladies and gentlemen. Newcomer of the year. Guys, I, I went first on, on the last, maybe the last couple. Who is your newcomer of the year in MLS in 2023? Does Carlos Grezo count? Yes, I think I think so. Okay, I'm going to go with Grezo then. Okay. I think for like value of signing, what he's brought to his team, the bump it's brought his team, and as well as his individual quality, that's my pick. I said yes instinctively. 
thinking about it for like longer than half a second, I actually think that it shouldn't count, but I'm willing uh, to give it to you Because anyway. he's not new to ma- Major League <laughs> yeah, like Soccer. Mean, I, I, ultimately, I was thinking like, yeah, of course he was just signed, but I mean, we know him from his Dallas days in, in MLS, but it's a good pick. And, and honestly, he's on my short list as well because I completely forgot that he'd been in MLS before. <laughs> I think uh, I think your your love for the San Jose Earthquake because it's bleeding through a couple yeah, of these categories is. is well-deserved because I think they're a very good team. Grezo makes them better. He is a reliable presence at the number six spot. He's making a midfield of Jackson Yule and Jamero Montero as two number eights look doable. And, this and is, that is impressive. So th- th- this is the same front six that played last year, except him. Yeah. Yeah. So for you to go from spoon contender to fifth in the in the West with one addition, I think gets you up there. The other, well, you do yours, but the other thing I was gonna say is. There aren't a lot of big, there were not a lot of big additions. It was a lot of like guys coming back being healthy that have helped teams rather than, you know, the biggest addition of the offseason is a guy who yeah. got suspended for racism. And otherwise, it's like not massive names, but you can do yeah. it. It was set up to be Venzier or Martino Heda in Orlando. And we know what happened with Venzier and Orlando right now are, are just a bit of a tire fire. And Ojeda hasn't been especially good so far this year because Orlando in general are not very good. So those are those are some names that I think a lot of folks had hoped were going to be impact signings. I like the Gruezo pick. He's been very good this year. My pick is Edward Lovin. So oh, wow. I, I had a hard time with this one, I'll be honest. And I mentioned Gruezo was on my short list. A few other players that I didn't go with and that I won't mention later. Yakamakis in Atlanta, I think is mm-hmm. really good. I think yeah. he's a really good player. Uh, profile-wise, for folks that haven't watched him, and, and I know a lot of folks that listen here on TSS also watch a lot of European soccer. He is not Erling Holland, but in his tenacity and like how he runs, which looks so out of control, and you wonder how a professional athlete can run in that way, <laughs> and how much he likes to get him behind. Like he kind of plays like a fifty-cent store version of Erling Holland, not even a dollar store version. I, I had to. We got to take some, this down some levels, but like he is in that mold, and he is really fun to watch. And I think is very, very good. Tim Tillman for LAFC is like a U.S. men's national team fringe level player, and LAFC came in to get him as their third number eight. I like Tillman a lot. And then Carlos Andres Gomez, who I still haven't seen quite as much of as some of these other players because I haven't watched a ton of RSL this year. And I, I plan on changing that at, at some point. But, you know, he pops, both when you watch him and when you look at the numbers. He, he's looked really good, young winger that they signed from South America. But Lovin is my pick. He's been such a reliable, effective player in midfield. And we talked about St. Louis a bunch earlier. I'm not really going to do a ton of that here because I'm also going to mention him one more time later. But really good passer, like moves well off the ball, good vision, strikes the ball well. Physical, if not the most mobile player ever, I think he's the most important player on St. Louis City's roster and and how good the start of their season has been, even if they're dipping. I think Lovin deserves a lot of credit for that. I thought I think that's a good pick. I thought St. Louis was tough because like everyone is an addition. Yeah. Like I had Klaus and Berkey on my list as well. Um, the other name I'd throw out there is Amin Bossi. He was the only other one I considered. Yeah, if if you like a penalty kick taker, I mean, Love a penalty kick taker. I mean, I mean, come on, the hardest <laughs> thing to do on the soccer field, right there. All right, we got a few more award categories. We got Young Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, some team specific stuff, and CCL preview. We're gonna get to all of that after the break. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We're talking MLS awards through the first 10 weeks of the regular season. Up next, David Goss, Young Player of the Year. There are many good young players in Major League Soccer. Who is your winner? Can I just admit that I made the wrong decision and say whatever I want? Yeah, that's fine. Go for it. Okay. okay. I'm picking Aiden Morris on a lot of the counting stats. That's yeah, the wrong decision. Go ahead. He's continue. top five in MLS, not for young players in MLS, in recoveries, ball. T- like, he is a constant for this team. And when you look at Columbus and you look back to last year, with um, Montreal, there has to be one of the two deeper midfielders that bursts forward and changes the shape of the other team to make good things happen for Wilfred Nance. Um, it was Wanyama at times last year. Then it became Ismael Kone. Nagby's not that guy. Like He's not really that guy. He's not super comfortable doing that. And I think Aiden Morris has continued to do what he does elite, which we thought would be pure six stuff of just winning the ball back, recycling possession, restarting things, and has added these number eight style tendencies of changing shape. He scored a couple goals. He has, he is clearly in this conversation. He is, as you have kindly pointed out the incorrect decision, but he is an acceptable (laughs) one. He is. He totally is. I I just, like I said, kind of with the crew earlier that I think they're a little bit over, over loved through the first 10 weeks of the year. I, I just haven't seen it with Morris. I think he's become a reliable MLS starter, and that's great. Oh, and really, the, the players the players that I have aren't much more than that, I guess, but maybe they're a little bit younger, or I think they have more upside. And I guess that's just maybe a, a difference in how you want to evaluate this award. I, I guess, ultimately, Morris is not a bad answer because he is a, a reliable every-game starter who's going to play every minute this year. For a team that's going to be top six or top seven in the Eastern Conference, that's that's a pretty solid resume. I just don't. I just don't really see it with Aiden Morris. I think he's fine on the ball, but not very good. He's mobile, but not like crazy mobile. I'm not there yet, and I would love to be wrong. But I like that you brought him up anyway, because he is a player that folks should be watching. On on pure production, and this is not the player that I went with, I think the answer has to be Caleb Wiley. 
if we're looking at re- young players in Major League Soccer, he's got Wait, goals. What is the cutoff for this? I don't know. What, what do you want the cutoff to be? Well, I've got it at, at like 20 and under, 21 and under. Ah, uh, okay. I didn't realize. Where do you want it? Uh, no, no, I love that. I thought you were going with what MLS does, which mm. I think is like 23. So I thought Tiago Amato was going to win oh, this. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's, uh, that feels cheap to me. Yeah. I, I, okay. If, no, if this is great. Way, I like this more. It, well, okay. Also, then, then, yeah, you picking Aiden Morris was just full on the incorrect answer if that's what we're doing. <laughs> but also, all of my picks were as well. Amata, I feel like, has graduated from this discussion. Yeah. Um, and, I agree. and I guess we, I should have set clearer parameters before we started. But on, on production of, Young players and all the all the ones that I really looked at were were twenty or younger. I think Wiley has got to be pretty close to the top of that list, or just straight up the answer. But okay. I went with I went with Brian Gutierrez, nineteen year old for the Chicago Fire. Underlying numbers are fine, not great, but fine for Gutierrez. But man, when I watch this guy, Gus, there's just something special. Like he has that smooth, technical, comfortable in tight spots, good under pressure, can connect play, can also. Like break games open with a through ball. He's played a, a number of really nice through balls this year for Chicago. He can do that stuff. And he can keep the biggest name player in the middle strip of the country off the field. In Zerdan Shakiri, who, again, I mentioned this earlier, Gutierrez started over Shakiri over the weekend and has basically made himself undroppable by Ezra Hendricks. Now, I would assume he's going to be at the U20 World Cup with the US U20s later on this month, now that we're in May. So, like, he... he he will he will be away from this team, I would imagine. But man, he's a he's a really good young player. Do you not think us? Do you not think he's gonna be with the U20s? I think there's a line where you're playing at this level professionally. You don't go mm-hmm. to a U20 World Cup. I've I, I maybe brought this up on this show. I've talked to the Philly people about it, because I think Jack McGlynn's already passed that line. I think Philly has another idea about selling players and value plus yeah. I think being a youth developer, there's like a level of tie-in with U.S. soccer of like, we kind of, this is a mutual relationship, symbiotic. Yeah, rowing in the same direction. Yeah, yeah, let's go send this guy so you guys can win, we can win, like, fine. But I think there's a line, I think Gutierrez has passed that line. I think Chris Brady is as well of like, Mm. you start professionally. What are you going to gain by going and playing in a U-20 tournament that you don't gain playing against full internationals week in and week out? Yeah. So... That the only thing is the experience of like being in a FIFA setting and how it works and all that stuff, which yeah. is great. But and 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 whether it's whether it's right or wrong, and I I'm sympathetic to a lot of what you're saying. Whether it's right or wrong, more scouts and more European teams are watching the U20 World Cup than they are watching the Chicago Fire take on the New York Red Bulls, right? So if, if we're talking about value, and I can understand Philly talking about value, I can understand Chicago talking about value. If you want to go out and flip players, which is what we're seeing both of those teams do to an extent, I, I think probably sending them to the U20 World Cup is the right choice, even if it, it shouldn't be that way and even if it's not the best thing sporting-wise for your club. Um, it, it's a difficult one, though. I'll, I'll give you that. But Brian Gutierrez ultimately is my pick for this award. I think he's been really good this year. And I think you're right for a lot of reasons. The first is everything he does, not everything he does, a lot of what he does is so much harder than what Caleb Wiley is doing. Like yes, Caleb Wiley agreed. is finding the gaps alongside a Tiago Almada and a Giacomakis and being effective. Gutierrez is Tiago Almada or Giacomakis for his team. He's done it in two positions now because he's actually three. He's played on the wing. He's played as a 10. He's played deeper and he's done all of them well. Um, And I think that's a fair answer. I would have Noel Buck over Caleb Wiley as well because he has been influential going forward. 
He's been locked down defensively. Again, play centrally, a lot more work, a lot more pressure. Like the way I see it is with young players, like you always start them out wide to make the mm-hmm. game easier for them. And then you bring them inside. So if you can start inside as a young player, you're already deep in that conversation. And then Andres Gomez, by the way, like he's going to be a candidate for whatever these awards are going forward. He is uniquely um, effective for a young attacking player to come into this league. And there's a decent chance that if RSL makes any sort of push, it's because he is a legitimate every game game changer. I like it. I like the Gomez shot. He was not on my short list, but definitely should have been. Goss, let's move to coach of the year. I'll get mine out of the way because this is my last bit of, of St. Louis love after we, yeah. we had a little bit of harsh words for them earlier in the show. Bradley Cornell, I, I didn't know what to make of him as a manager before this year other than just sort of like Red Bull. And, and now we can see that he is effective and capable at implementing that approach with a group of players that I still think is kind of a ragtag bunch. He's fostered buy-in. He's getting a, a lot out of what doesn't seem like a lot. The system is good. The stars are set up to succeed. He's maximizing role players. Just a lot to like. I think St. Louis will drop as the year goes on, especially depending on how many trophies LAFC win. It could be difficult for them to stay as as aggressively in the limelight as as they have through the first 10 weeks of the year. Or it, it could be difficult for Chirondolo, excuse me, for Carnell. I don't know where Chirondolo came from. It could be difficult for Carnell to, to win this award ultimately at the end of the year if LAFC win CCL, if LAFC win either MLS Cup or, or whatever. They're in a deep position when, when this award comes out, whatever. But I think through 10 games, Bradley Carnell has earned it. That was an impressive performance of giving St. Louis love, and yet they will still be mad at you because you said Chirondolo by accident. And they're like, <laughs> of course, LAFC, West Coast bias, all those things. Uh, right. But every, every there's not even a conversation on this one. Everything okay. you said is correct. It's Bradley Carnell. Great. Yeah, as an Arizonan, St. Louis people, I love California and love every every sports team in California. So, yeah, that's uh, that's on me. All right, that's fair. I think Bradley Canale is, is the obvious choice there. I agree with you guys. Most improved team. I think there are lots of options for this one. I don't feel great about my pick because it's boring, but I would like to hear your pick first. This one I actually had a really hard time with. Um, and I, like, you know, oscillated between points and whatever. Um, I landed on Houston. Houston was hopeless in a way that's really tough to watch a team and like a fan base experience of, yeah, we won this game, but like, mm, you know, it was by accident and there was no future plan. There's no build. Like it has been tough in Houston, even with the flip in management last year and all that stuff. Um, So Houston was my, was the first team that came to mind. There's a technicality in here that I don't feel comfortable going with. So I'm going with Houston. Maybe I went with the technicality. I'm curious what you're talking about here. My my ultimate answer was Seattle. Is yeah, that the, that's technicality? the technicality? Okay, yeah. all right. It, it feels cheap. They won CCL last cheap. year. They won CCL. They missed the playoffs though. Breaking. There you go. Digit. The buzzer says you're wrong. <laughs> that's the cue that uh, I've done something very very wrong. They they missed the playoffs last year, breaking their double digit playoff appearance streak, which was like a, a big deal. But at this point in the year, they're back at the top of the West. The depth looks. Impressive. They're getting something out of Leo Chu, which I did not expect. For me, this team is super scary. They can win multiple trophies. They're very clearly back. But I ultimately, Goss, I agree with you. It feels a little dirty to pick Seattle for this one. So as some honorable mentions, New uh-huh. England is on the list. We've talked about them plenty. DC United look respectable that was, that after was my taking other on the team. spoon. 
Yeah. And then San, uh, San Jose is the other one, and we've talked right. about them plenty. DC, I think, is is narrative-wise really fun. I'm, I'm just not all the way there on believing in this team yet. But through through 10 games, Wayne Rooney and, and the players do deserve a lot of credit. So Because their turnaround of teams was not just from there. last year. It was from this year, too. Like, they were back right. to start <laughs> from the like year. like, week one. No, yeah. actually, they won a week one. But, yeah, I, I get the idea. So some some different solid nominations that I went with the cheap option. But you know what? we got to do what you got to do. Last award before we get to our CCL look ahead the most disappointing team in Major League Soccer. Do we want to just say this on three? Or how, yeah. I mean, how do we want to, yeah, I mean, it's, it Here, is I'll say Kansas the City. first letter, you say the <laughs> second letter, I'll say the third letter. S- let's draw it out. Let's draw it out. Yeah, let's, I'm just going to do P-O-R-T-I-N-G, blah, 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 blah. It, it has to be, right? Winless through 10 games. I thought they were going to be a real bounce back team. Like, I thought they were going to be in the in the category that we just talked about instead of in this category. Um, they're not, Goss. They lost 2-0 to Montreal, who are also yeah. bad. They look broken right now. Johnny Russell giving interviews in the locker room looks broken and confused and and doesn't seem like anybody can really figure out how to get out of this rut. Gus, can can something be fixed here? Like, what is happening? The toughest part about it is just on pure probability and stats of, like, the way the league is built, you accidentally will win games. Like, it's a parity-built league with the best home advantage. They have one of the best atmospheres. Like... The fact that they haven't backed into a win yet is the hardest part to say, yeah, it'll, you know, it'll level out. It's like, well, clearly it won't. Well, they're past the point, 10 games in where it's like, just, it'll happen. So I don't really know. Russell's back. He looks pretty healthy. Polito will obviously take more time. He doesn't look involved. Like he was, he, he was less of a hang off the shoulder nine when he was good for SKC. And he was like a 10 that they played through. He touched the ball a ton. He moved pieces around. He sort of affected the game. He doesn't look like that player right now. The center backs are an absolute mess. Um, Walter is still the guy after they signed another center mid. Who's been and Roger's still starting. Well. Yeah. So I don't really have a good answer. Um, and I I want to say I'd, I'd be shocked if it happened this year. But at the same time, 62% of teams, you know? <laughs> Ultimately, that's what it all comes down to in Major League Soccer. You're not wrong. My current theory is injuries plus old fullbacks, although Ben Sweat has gone now, so mostly old right back, and Peter Vermees doesn't seem willing to trust the kids, but they've also been kind of injured, plus inability to sign good center backs, plus Johnny Russell maybe is back, but also old. I, that's a bit scattered, but like you toss all those things together into a pot. I still don't think you're looking at a team that's going to go winless for much longer because it is just so hard to do that in MLS. You said it well, guys, you're going to accidentally win some games. But man, this team does not look like the, the real contender that I thought they would be. Um, Sporting Kansas City, not the only person struggling. We had one more category, and I didn't see it on my list. I'm not going to skip it. We're not to CCL just yet. Gosh, well, roster move of the year. This is the one that maybe I'm the most excited about of all of them. I want you to go first, though, because I'm, I'm a gentleman. I just want to throw out on the disappointing one. There are other finalists. So SKC oh, yeah, are doing a good job of being elite. But Red Bulls and Galaxy are, yep, are willing to, to well. have the conversation Silver as well. Bulls. You're most excited. You go first on the roster move. All right. All right. I will. I will. My my pick for roster move of the year. So the idea here is is not necessarily best incoming player or highest profile player but it's, it's like, where's the value? You know, wh- where is a creative way that a team has gone yep. out and signed somebody that's really producing for them and could lead to something big, whether that's on the sporting side with the club right now or or down the line? I went with 18-year-old right back, Mitya Elenich for NYCFC, 
Slovenian Youth International, a guy I'd never heard of. I would doubt anybody in MLS other than City Football Group, so NYCFC, had heard of this kid. Came over from Slovenia, $1 million fee, according to reports. He's really good. Guys, he is a really, really good player. He can serve the ball from the right side, I think, better than anybody in MLS not named Julian Gressel. He's got athleticism. He has positional awareness and understanding of, of when to go and when to stay. He didn't start the year in the 11. At least he wasn't consistently starting every game. Tavon Gray was getting some minutes at right back. Nick Cushing was playing around with the shape. Now that they've settled on the 4-3-3 with fullbacks that are aggressive and Sands giving them cover as number six, he has become a really important player for them. I think he's very, very good. I think he's going to be playing for Girona, a older sister club in City Football Group, in like two years. And NYCFC are going to be richer and City Football Group's going to look even smarter than they already do. So I think that's a good one. Mine all leaned in a different vein, which was like purely on like MLS value for what sure. you got. Yeah. I think Kai Kamara is the obvious one there. You're getting basically a true number nine that's scoring goals and is the only reason you're scoring goals at times. Um, for I believe it was 400000 in allocation money. That is rare in Major League Soccer. He was the big one that stood out to me um, in that vein. But your one works too. I'm just telling you. I like um, it. So I that, appreciate it. Yeah, but that was the big one that popped out to me. And I was like, uh, this one's obvious. Orlando yeah. City trading, I think, Huon for allocation money and the draft pick that became Duncan McGuire. It's not bad. It was like. Feels like a pretty strong move as well for them. That's another starting center forward, which is hard to find um, in Major League Soccer. So those were two that like popped out to me. And then Gustavo Vallecia on loan for nothing. Mm. He's been a starting center back for Columbus. Yeah, credit to them because I've heard from some folks and I've watched the tape. Like not a lot of folks were terribly high on him. And Will Fernandez is seemingly a guy who can turn center backs into gold. And maybe that's going to happen in Columbus. All right, guys, that's all we got as far as awards go. Let's do a quick, go and do a quick CCL preview for the second leg for LAFC and the Philadelphia Union before we get out of here. It was a 1-1 draw in the first leg in Pennsylvania. Now they are back in LA for leg number two. LAFC had that away goal towards the end of the match. That gives them an advantage in this one tonight. Jose Martinez is out injured for Philly, so that's another advantage for LAFC. Guys, this is a bit bleak for Union fans and for Union folks. Is there like a, a reality in which... The Union are favored or like expected to win or or like will win tonight. They went there without Bedoya last year and they got a 3-3 draw. Yeah. In MLS true. Cup against what I would argue is a better LAFC team. Deeper, um, knew, knew themselves better as well. So I think there's every reason to believe still for Philly that they can get it done. Uh, and my assumption is they're still going to go in with that mentality It'll be interesting to see what Curtin does in place of Martinez. Is it Leon mm. Flock, who we've seen play there in the past, who's pretty much lost his starting spot to yeah. McGlynn, but I still think is one of the best young players in MLS? Is it Jesus Bueno, who is a young international that they didn't give any chance to last year? And he's been the one in league a lot of times with the CCL rotations that started there. Or is it Andres Pereira, who had played as a six for Orlando and I think Philly's been pretty open about the fact that they see him as a shuttler in this team on the side of the diamond, and that's how they've used him, but has experience in that role. So it'll be interesting to see what Philly does. I still think Philly is deeper than they were last year. I still think what a Joaquin Torres, even the way Chris Donovan's been playing, the ability to move Gazdog and McGlynn around, I still think this is a team that's going to be more dangerous as the game goes along than they could be last year. 
in MLS Cup. Like, I think Jim Curtin has more cards he can play to change the game, where last year he was just dying to hold on and just trying to get enough. And I think Bedoya is a huge difference. Like, that's your... He has shown out in big games. He has scored few goals. Almost all of them have been in the playoffs for Philadelphia. So I think that's a big piece for them to have coming in. To me, the X factor for them is Mikel Ura. When he pulls off into that left channel, he changes a defensive shape. He creates space for Carranza and Gazdog, but he has to be clean with his service from there. And it's normally a pretty early pullback to Carranza's near post run or Gazdog's second runner. He had a few looks at that in the last game, and he was not clean in his service against LAFC. And I think Hollingshead's going to push forward. I think the weakness for LAFC is center back because you're just looking at an Aaron Long still coming back from injuries, not really sure of himself, and a partnership that hasn't played together. And I think Ura has to be the one to take advantage. Yeah, for me, the the two tactical matchups, and you just hit on one of them really well, that I'm watching for in this game to start with LAFC is how they try to overload or take advantage of the absence of Jose Martinez, right? Do they try to have a poku drop a bit? Do they put Vela up top for extended stretches? Have him try to overload that midfield space? Do they push the eights up? I think there's lots of different ways you can try to take advantage of a midfield that won't have quite as much chemistry as the first choice group for Philly. So that's what I'm watching for when LAFC have the ball is how they try to manipulate that space and how the union, on the flip side, deal with LAFC's attacking players in that area. And then for Philly, when they're in possession, I mentioned this on the show after the first leg, when we reviewed this last weekend, the, the, the first leg of this matchup, it was the strikers for the union against LAFC's two center backs. You mentioned Ura there. I thought LAFC had some major problems dealing with Carranza and Ura 2v2, 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 I don't know what happened there, 2v2 against uh, against the union. You know, that it's not a matchup that looked great for LAFC. Elias Sanchez is not going to be a guy that's sweeping in behind to help you deal with a lot of that stuff. So if the Union are going to create some sort of advantage, it feels like with an overload in that area with maybe Gazdog then joining as the third guy, I think if if Philly come out here with a win, if they get the result and if they advance to the final, the number nines and how they manipulate the center backs, there'll be like a direct correlation between how well those players play and how effective they are and, and sort of how the Union go out there and actually get a result. So that's, that's something I'm watching for. Gosh, we've gone long. The CCL final, CCL second leg is tonight, so we don't need to go a ton deeper into this. Before we get out of here, I want to know predicted scoreline for you for this second leg, or at least who's going to advance. I think Philly advances. Um, oh, I'll go with a 2-2 draw, which would give them the, would, they goals, would advance yeah. on away goals then. Because reminder, away goals still exist in CCL because it is the elite competition on the planet. And everyone else is following trends where CCL and CONCACAF is setting trends. Yep, and I would just state, if you think back to the conversation we just had about awards, we mentioned Dennis Buanga once. We otherwise didn't mention a Philly or LAFC player. Seattle won CCL last year and didn't make the playoffs. I think this is as big a game as you can have. I'm not sure that either of these teams is going to be in an MLS Cup conversation this year, not because I don't think they're good enough. That's just not the history we've seen. And for LAFC, this is a chance to be considered the greatest MLS team in history to go double last year and CCL champion this year. And I think to change a lot of conversation, especially in your area. If you beat a Tigres in a CCL final, I think you have a large Mexican-American community in the LA area as well as Central American community that's going to be like, oh, wow. Oh, this is the level that they play at. And for Philly, like... Forget MLS Cup. If you win this, 
if you win this whole thing, last year didn't matter. Like, I, people can tell me I'm wrong. I do not believe that that will be true. Like, that would be the crowning achievement. To be the second ever MLS team to win it. To be LAFC in, on their, you know, in their stadium, in their building, in this moment. And then to go and win the whole thing. I think for Philly would be a stratosphere changer. Especially for this era of the team. Where it's like they've won a supporter's shield. They've been to a final. It's a good phase that we'll look back on fondly. No, they win CCL. And now you're talking about dominant phase and dynasties and stuff like that. So I just think I'm so excited for this game because I think it's yeah, as big a game as we can create in this region. Yeah, I agree. And I, I hear everything you said there. And I think you make a lot of strong points. I will be going 2-1 win for LAFC. They will advance to the final. They'll be at full strength. The Union won't. And I, I think just straight up, they have more talent and are probably the better team. But I think it says something about Philly that I, I really won't be surprised either way, even with some of the cards stacked against him for the second leg, it wouldn't shock me to see the Union go on in advance. And even to win this whole thing, even though I think whichever MLS team advances to the final will be the underdog because that has still been the history of this competition and that is still where MLS is relative to the top of League MX. David Goss, we have talked MLS Week 10. We have talked awards. We have talked CCL. This is a ton of fun. Goss, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Oh, sorry, I mean Joe Larry. <laughs> I was going for the Ryan Bailey impression earlier. I end with yeah, the Taylor Rockwell true. impersonation. We're out of here. Folks, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back on the feed very soon. <laughs>